and I'm here with Stephanie Crawford. How are you doing? Uh, I'm hanging in there. How about you? <laughs> I am well, thank you. I was thinking to myself as we were chatting before we began recording how I feel like I know you because I've heard your voice on so many different podcasts. Oh, I'm sorry about that. No, it's fantastic. I I feel very lucky to have you as a result. I know Aww. you're in high demand. <laughs> well, not really, but I do appreciate that. Okay, so in case people are not aware of you and your work, please share a 30-second bio or introduce yourself. Okay, hello. My name is Stephanie Crawford. I'm just your average goofball. <laughs> like Joe mentioned, I do a number of podcasts. The main one is I'm one of the co-hosts of the Screamcast, which is a fun horror podcast and... I guess on uh, whatever podcast will have me, like this one. I, I have very high standards. That's the only reason why I'm here, of course. <laughs> no, I think it means you have low standards. No, I'm that very sounds terrible. Snooty. I'm so sorry. That sounds so awful. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have you know that I'm, I'm a snob, a terrible person, and that's the only reason why I'm here. That's right. Yes, <laughs> this is the, the cream of the crop. That's right. <laughs> okay. So you mentioned that you do the screencast, but you're also a very proficient writer. So what kind of places do you write for? Oh, well, thank you. I'm freelance, which means uh, I'm scattered all over the place. I have a bi-monthly column at Dread Central where I'm going through all the seasons of Tales from the Crypt, mm -hmm. focusing on the all the horror people working behind the scenes and on the on the screen and i have articles at f this movie a uh, daily grindhouse and i have my own website too and i just throw everything up there as you should well let's go back in history tell me a little bit about how you got started in horror where did it all begin for you well, as a child, I grew up in a fairly religious home. I wasn't allowed to watch horror movies or anything, but I was a big reader, and my mom's a librarian, and both my parents liked encouraging that, so I'd grab a scary book, and they were okay with that. So I would grab collections of Edgar Allan Poe, and I, I had a pretty intense Edgar Allan Poe stage as a kid, but Goosebumps, and Fear Street, Christopher Pike. Yes. I would just line those books up and I would pretend they were posters of horror movies and that I owned my own movie theater and I only showed horror movies. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> and finally, uh, we got Cinemax when I was about 12. And I, I remember they'd show like Skinemax and I'd flip it on. I'd be like, come on, when is this over? <laughs> and I'd flip back to like MTV and flip back and like, yeah, Leprechaun 3 is showing. <laughs> so I'd secretly watch these horror movies. And finally, my mom gave up. And one year she got me a bunch of tapes of the first four, Friday the 13th, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and the first two Evil Deads. And that was okay. it for me. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good introduction. You've got your franchises covered off, and of course you got Bruce Campbell. Yeah. How old were you then? 13. That was my 13th birthday. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting to me how involved our parents 
are and are not in terms of creating us as horror monsters in our adult years. It is. Yeah, you have people like Brad Henderson, who I do the Screamcast with. He would just watch all these movies with his mom. His mom was super cool about it. They just sit together and watch them. And Anya Stanley, who's an amazing writer, she's introducing her son to a bunch of horror movies, and he's just taking to it like a duck to water. It'll be interesting to see how he grows up, if he's going to be like as hardcore interested in it as she is. But for me, I don't know. I think being kept from it made it so like sexy and romantic to me. <laughs> so where did you go after you had that, that introduction? Did you seek out more obscure things or did you stick with the big leagues of the 80s? Well, I remember the first series I went through, uh, we'd go to Hastings every weekend, which used to be a rental store. And I decided, oh, I've heard about Psycho a lot. I should see Psycho. Mm -hmm. And week after week, I went through the whole series. So the first entire horror franchise I ever saw was Psycho, all four of them. It's a little rocky. <laughs> oh, but you have to understand, I was a kid. I was new. I probably thought they were all of equal quality, honestly. <laughs> and I was set. There's still a little bit of supervision with like, you know, if they had like boobs on the cover, I couldn't get it. I remember my 16th birthday party, my birthday's in October, so I did a sweet 16 slash Halloween party nice. and I was Freddy Krueger. <laughs> and I had the full latex makeup and everything, and I'd answer their door by putting the claw around the door and tapping it, and everyone screamed. It was amazing. <laughs> and we saw Sleepaway Camp. Okay, yeah, the perennial slumber party <laughs> movie, right? Yeah, and Carrie. And I remember at the end of Sleepaway Camp, we were screaming, and we're like, you take the tape out. No, you take the tape out. I'm not going near the TV. You take the tape out. <laughs> And I've always been interested in horror literature, too. So throughout the years, I've just enjoyed people like Jill Lansdale and David J. Scow, and I've written some of my own horror fiction. And it's such a rich genre, and I love how it can just take little pieces of every genre out there and build on it and pervert it, and I can't get enough of it, really. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just one of those things where I always find it fascinating when you run into people and they ask you, oh, how can you watch those movies or how can you read mm -hmm. that stuff? And you're just like, how can you not? Exactly. And this might sound dramatic, but I promise you it's true. I had to stop watching local news because it was too disturbing. I think they had a story about like an infant being left in a dumpster and then uh. they immediately went on about like a local football team. I'm like, so you're just doing a laundry list of the horrific things that have happened. Like, why? Mm -hmm. And these are real people. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty empathetic person. And I'm kind of torn apart by what's going on in the world. And I don't understand people who equate real violence with horror movies. I almost think, well, two things, comedy and horror. Those are the things that help me deal with everything every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's something cathartic about horror movies. You oh, get to yeah. go through something terrible, but then there's usually closure or there's an explanation or the right people are triumphing. So, Right, one of my favorite horror movies 
that kind of throws people off as martyrs. Mm, Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I hear a lot of people just saying, oh, it's just gross to be gross or it just tortures women for no reason or it's just too grotesque. But I've watched it a few times. It's really cathartic for me. And weirdly enough, I think it has interesting things to say about chronic pain, which is something I relate to. And I don't know, I feel like a strange closeness to that film. And maybe it's not Martyrs, maybe not that extreme, but I, I think there's probably a handful of horror movies for each person where you connect to on a deeply personal level. Yeah, that's really interesting that you say that because that is such a tough film for a lot of people. But I think the people who really love it and embrace it, it really speaks to them. Right. And I'm not one of those people who's like, the more extreme, the better, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean, to clarify, if that's your deal, cool. Oh, heck but yeah. It's, it's not me. It's but not all of us. I do yeah. not judge that. <laughs> that's another fun thing for, for a single genre. Man, we have like the gamut of the types of fans. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I had a conversation with Gina Radcliffe from Kill by Kill, and we ended up on this tangent about the different levels of fandom and how Twitter has both encouraged and also activated different types of people for better and worse. And it was a really (laughs) fascinating conversation to have. I look forward to hearing that. (laughs) Yes, one day I will get around to editing it and then you can (laughs) listen to it. (laughs) So you've talked about your upbringing and I love the fact that you mentioned both books as well as movies because I do think sometimes people forget that horror shows up in a lot of different formats. But the reason that I'm interested in speaking with you is also because you're contributing to it. So you're writing both critical pieces, you're talking about it on the podcast, and then you're also contributing your own original fiction. So how did you move into the analysis and the creative side of horror? Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) It's a loaded question. (laughs) I guess I've always been a writer since I was a little kid. I was a bookworm. I just inhaled books as a child. And I started writing a series about a dog named Izzy. And every Christmas they'd get mailed out to all my relatives. And the last one was he did one dog food commercial and became the most famous guy in Hollywood. (laughs) So, you know, I've always been pretty genius. That's that's a joke. Uh, No, so I've always been interested in writing, and since I was a teenager, I would just create websites for fun because I was super cool, asked out on a lot of dates. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm an only child. I (laughs) I was a very interior life kind of kid, and writing was a great way for me to just, well, I think it was mainly get my jokes out when no one was there (laughs) to listen to them. And then when uh, I got a little bit older as a teenager, I got more interested in movies. And, you know, those things, they tend to combine. And I've just kind of had blogs I'd pick up and drop and pick up and drop over the years. And I don't know, in the like only past two years, I've connected with a lot of people through Twitter where I thought to myself, of course, there's a gigantic, vibrant community. I just, for whatever reason, had no idea how to connect with anyone. And next thing I knew, I got to meet writers and editors who were actually incredibly warm and encouraging. 
about having me write, and that kind of reignited things for me. Yeah, it's interesting. Everybody seems to have a different kind of journey that leads them to where they've gone, obviously. But so many people, when they start connecting with people within the horror community, all of a sudden it's like opportunities begin arising. People want to hear your opinion, particularly if you have an interesting perspective or you're bringing a well-informed point of view to it. And I think that's actually one of the things that I feel like I get from you and many of the other women that I'm interviewing for this particular project is that you're all contributing something that other people are not seeing. And as a result, they're seeking out your writing. Well, thank you so much for including me in that group. Yeah, that I think that's the most gratifying thing for me is seeing how vibrant women are in writing about film in general, but especially the genre. I almost feel like women are kind of taking it over a little bit. Yeah. And I think it we're kind of moving away from like that centralized straight white guy with glasses and a beard not to be insulting (laughs) to anyone but it did seem like a parade of those exact faces who all knew each other from way back and there was like a wall built around like every opportunity it seems like it's finally getting dismantled and I think that's amazing and the quality of what we're seeing from that is improving because of it Mm mm-hmm That actually nicely anticipates my next question, which was this idea of we're in Women in Horror Month. And what does it mean to you as a woman, as a female creator, as a female writer? Is there something that you connect to with the month? That's an interesting question. On one hand, it's cool. Like, that's such a cool thing to have. And when you go to the original website and see the reason why it was created, it's amazing. And then on the other hand, it's like, yeah, but you know, we're part of the fabric every day, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) all around the year. So I don't think there's any reason to look at it cynically. I think it is really cool to have that month focus. You know, I see a lot of support on Twitter among writers, but if it encourages people who maybe don't read a lot of women or Mm -hmm. just the retweets or sharing articles like, oh, I've never heard this writer before and they're into this weird subgenre I thought I was only interested in. So I'm sorry, I'm not very (laughs) (laughs) articulate about how I feel about it. I think it's great. I feel like maybe I'm sensing a bit of reserve and for the people who are informed it's like fantastic we've got this month and we're also killing it 365 but I think you are right that there's also a bunch of people who are maybe not as informed or who maybe aren't as plugged in and as a result the month can really become an educative transformative opportunity for them to say oh maybe I should be seeking out female writers or female directors or, you know, female DPs, whatever it may be. So I've, that's sort of how I've been negotiating it and how some of the other people have been negotiating it, but it's tricky. Yeah, I think we're on the same page. And thank you for being so much more articulate than I am about it. I have done it about eight times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm just choosing to focus on it, just widening the focus on female writers. Mm -hmm. 
But, you know, yeah, anything that's kind of exclusionary, even when it's positive, it's not automatically a bad thing. It's not automatically a good thing. I, it's always something I have to sit with. Mm-hmm. But you know what? You're talking to me right now, so I'm for it. <laughs> if anything, I would hope that it produces more discussion and dialogue. My concern is always when, and I'm going to put it that I'm just going to lay it on the table. I feel like there ends up being a lot of men who will just be like, cool, I'll do this for a month. And then they just go back to John Carpenter, Wes Craven, Toby Hooper. <laughs> and I'm just like, no, this is an all year thing. Like, yeah, <laughs> we shine a spotlight on it now so that you remember it. But then also in like April, when the new Pet Cemetery movie comes out, you're like, man, mm. remember when Mary Lambert got screwed because she directed that really awesome movie that we all love and then they never hired her again? What is she doing right now? Yeah, she directed an episode of Tales from the Crypt. And part of the fun, really fun thing about that column for me is going back and seeing like, okay, what's everyone working on right now? And for Lambert, I was like, come on, guys, are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean, I'm happy that she's actually still working. But at the same time, as much as I love Arrow on the CW, I'm pretty sure that Mary Lambert can handle some pretty big projects as well. Yeah, and we have Rachel Talbot. She's She works on Doctor Who. I think TV has been a, a great outlet for a lot of women directors. But yeah, we need those features as well. Mm-hmm. And like a range of features. Like on my other podcast, we just had the pleasure of watching Lyle and Always Shine. And they're two great low budget female directed films. And one of the directors, she literally hasn't directed anything since. And the other, Sophia Tackle, she just directed Blumhouse's New Year, New You. Oh, okay. Which is great. But I'm also like, and? It's fantastic that TV is offering different kinds of opportunities, but I would love to be seeing these people directing bigger budget films as well. It would be great when it comes to women writers and directors, cinematographers, you name it, to not have to say, and? as quite as often as we do. <sighs> I, it gets my back up. I saw somebody tweet about the new Jordan Peele article that was in... I think the Hollywood Reporter or something. And people were like, oh yeah, Jordan Peele talking about Candyman. I was like, that's not his film to talk about. Love Jordan Peele, but that's Nia DaCosta's film. That's why she is the director of that film. Mm -hmm. And we need to be giving her credit and saying her name. Anyway, sorry, soapbox, soapbox. No, <laughs> I feel like that's what we're here for. Okay, so... Thinking about the contemporary state of the horror genre, how do you feel we're doing in terms of representation? How are women doing? I think women are doing great. There's always room for improvement, of course. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. It, it almost seems like every single month there's a new announcement or a new... Even if it's a smaller opening film, just something incredible especially with something like camp oh, which i yes. love <laughs> that's a daring script mm -hmm. and now i mean i feel like everyone's seen on netflix so i'm just gonna assume it's doing better than bird box <laughs> at this point i have no data to back this up <laughs> but that's the way it should be so it, it's not even that 
there's more women out there getting chances, but the chances are more intense. The scripts are getting more weirder and more daring. And mm. it's like, oh, this tired old ghost story everyone's heard before, I guess we could give it to a woman. You know, there's some audacious films being made. So I'm, I'm actually very excited about what's going on with women in horror right now. I'll agree with you. And honestly, Cam is such, oh, it's such an amazing film. I've really enjoyed tracking Isma throughout all of her interviews and her conversations because mm-hmm. she's so eloquent and passionate about her craft. And I'm like, yes. And I can't believe that this is like your first feature. Oh, I can't I wait know. to see what she does next. There's something about a first film and also with first first books as well or first novels where they have all that passion and life experience just like bursting out of them. It's so exciting. And then hopefully with her and a lot of others, we'll get a chance to see how that sustains over a career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you hope it's not all like, this is my one shot and I put everything I have into it. And then I've yeah. got, you know, I need to take a couple of years to recharge or something like that. <laughs> Well, it happens a lot, I've noticed. Sorry to go off topic, but... There's no topic. Free free form. (laughs) Anything you want to talk about. You know, they'll have years to hone that first movie, so it's brilliant and it's almost perfect. And then the studios are like, wow, that was great. And it was like a sleeper hit. We need a new movie that you have no connection with in six months. Mm -hmm. And I think that's... That's when the danger Stop doing that to them. (laughs) Give them a little time. And part of the problem also becomes then you feel the pressure, you know, oh, well, if I say no, or if I say I need more time, then they say, oh, well, we've got to strike while you're hot. Oh, yeah, the whole filmmaking business and that scarcity of opportunity. Oh, yeah, it's understandable why they jump on it. I just think the people in charge need to be a little bit more thoughtful about their offers. And I'm sure that'll happen with all the money involved. Right? <laughs> we all hope and, and then so. you add crickets and a tumbleweed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is the fear. Yeah, it'd be nice to think of it more as grooming, right? Like, I, I love to hear about people making pledges. Oh, I want to work with a female director in the next 14 months. And all I can think about is, A, you should be more ambitious than 14 months. <laughs> But also be like, I hope it's not just one of those things where it's this year's pledge and then next year it's, you know, oh, I want to work with a person of color director and then, oh, I want to make a a small indie film for under a million dollars. Like we can we can all strive for more and we should be thinking about how do we turn these people who are making fantastic films into career filmmakers so that we can get great stories from them for decades to come. I agree. More nurturing, less rushing. Yes. Yeah. Instead of rushing the next person, try to find somebody else who can like fill out your coffers, maybe. Who is the next big thing? And then come back to that other person and say, cool, it's been a year. Have you got something that we can work with you on? Why aren't we in charge of Hollywood? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because we probably don't have the money skills. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of the most creative outlets in the world, and it's all about money. Sadly, sad but true. So I want to hear the Crawford hit list. What are some great films, new or old, that you think horror fans should be checking out? So you've mentioned Cam, which is amazing. 
And I'm like you, I'm like, everybody's seen Cam, right? And then people are like, oh, I've never even heard of this. What? (laughs) Yeah, sometimes like, uh, sorry to go back to Twitter, but you know, you have your little group. So it seems like everyone's talking about a movie and then you go out and everyone's like, why are you talking like I should know what Zombie 3 is? Killer Bert, what? (laughs) You're like, oh yeah, this is very niche. You mean you haven't seen that horror film about killer wigs from Japan? <laughs> okay, so yes, Cam, definitely check that out. I'm going to say Intruders, which I don't hear talked about a lot, but... Okay, I don't think I know Intruders, so what's the long line for that one? It came out a few years ago. It's about an agoraphor- agoraphobic woman who her house is broken into... And instead of it being kind of the classic terrorized woman thing, it turns out agoraphobia is not her only issue. And it kind of turns into like a captive house of horrors plot. And when I first watched it, I'm like, oh, this is good. That's fine. And I didn't think I'd think about it, but I I kind of became obsessed with it. I think back onto it quite a bit. And I know there are people who really get into locations and set dressings of films. And I think Intruders has one of the most intriguing houses I've ever seen in a horror film. Wow. That, that was like just <laughs> the right amount of what I need to get me very interested in it. All right. Okay. So Cam, Intruders, anything else? Oh, okay. Well, I guess I'll throw out Hush as well. Mm-hmm. which I feel like is kind of the very quiet sister to Intruders. I like Intruders more, but I, I was impressed with Hush. I'm trying to go back a few years, so I never know what other people are going to recommend. Faults is another one with a very strong female performance from Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Okay. She made that with her husband. It mostly takes place in a single hotel room, and it's so intense and amazing. Mm, Yes, I remember hearing about it, but I haven't seen it. I just realized I'm naming a lot of single title horror films. (laughs) Maybe you'll have (laughs) Martyrs, Cam, Intruders, Hush. Okay, Tragedy Girls. Everybody should see Tragedy Girls. Yes, classic, meta, great female leads. Yeah, I, I, I've always been a fan of candy-coated horror. I, I like to recommend the Slumber Party Massacre series a lot, too, not only because it's completely directed and written by women, mm-hmm. and I'm a huge slasher fan, but it's candy-coated, gory it fun. It's fun. Those are all good picks, interesting picks. I'm always intrigued when people reveal what kinds of subgenres they fall into as well because i feel like i'm so boring i'm like oh i'm a child of the 80s i like slasher movies and i like creature features and people are like oh okay that's fine i guess <laughs> <laughs> do they really react that way uh i think with slashers it's just it's such a common response particularly for people who are in their mid-20s to mid-30s it's it's kind of what we all grew up on I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if there's just anything new to say about them. Whereas, you know, you tell me about intruders and I'm like, that sounds really interesting. I haven't really heard of it. Like, it's always so exciting when you find an undiscovered gem and then you can fall in love with it. So, yeah. And that's when I actually found when I was like, oh, what should I watch? Click, click, click. Oh, that sounds interesting. And 
here I am recommending it to you. So, yeah, uh, I'm a sucker for ghost films, but those are harder to find really effective ones. Mm-hmm. Is Ghostwatch still on Shutter? Everyone should see Ghostwatch. Do you know that one? <laughs> no, I was thinking of Ghost Story. No, it's um a fake documentary the BBC made in the 80s, and they used their real newscasters. And they're like, we're going into a haunted house. Sorry, I'm doing my British accent. <laughs> and this famous haunted house. And it's this great build to it actually being haunted, actually affecting them in the studio. And the first time I saw it, like, during a very t- tense scene, a light in my hallway went out that moment. <laughs> So I know I can't replicate that experience for everyone, but I'm pretty sure I would have loved that movie, even if it wasn't for that spooky light incident. So check out Ghostwatch. (laughs) (laughs) Even though there's a lot of like uh, fake documentary found footage films nowadays, there's nothing like Ghostwatch. I love the idea of people getting suckered into something and actually thinking it was real. Oh, yeah, and I guess that did happen back then. I guess the closest thing I can think of that's more modern is the WNUF Halloween special, but that's still pretty different, though I'm a fan of both. So Interesting. You're giving me tons of different things. Where I'm like, oh, good. Man, I need to diversify a little more. <laughs> so we have one film in particular that you selected that you wanted to spend a bit more time talking about, and... I gave you the option to pick a film or performance, and you picked Marsha Gay Harden in The Mist, which I, well, should clarify first. You picked Jamie Lee Curtis in (laughs) Rogue Games, and I was like, I have not seen that, so I don't know if I can talk to you about it. (laughs) And then you picked Marsha Gay Harden from The Mist, and I got way too excited. (laughs) Yeah, when you reacted to that, I'm like, all right, bingo. It's such an interesting, like, People who picked performances picked really interesting performances. So I want to know why this particular one. Do you not think it's an interesting performance? Oh, no, I love it. But I want to hear your perspective on why you think it's so great. Okay. The first I do want to say, highly recommend Road Games. It's Stacy Keach during his hunkiest time (laughs) in his life. He's got a dingo. He's like a long haul driver. Jamie Lee Curtis is adorable in it. And it's like a whodunit Australian outback slasher with jokes. And if you like if you like road movies, I do. Prison escape movies and movies on the road. That's what I like. (laughs) Another great (laughs) subgenre. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so with Marsha Gay Harden in The Mist, which is a film I just I love in in general it rips my heart out and then i feel like it it holds it in front of me for like five minutes and when finally i'm like come on guys they just jam it down my throat but i love it for that (laughs) okay so there's a natural disaster so most of the small town they they're all in the supermarket getting their supplies and next thing you know, a very thick mist surrounds it. And this is based on a shorter Stephen King story. Mm-hmm. And they find whenever anyone goes out into the mist, something destroys them. And slowly more creatures come out of it. And it becomes clear you should stay out of the mist. Stay out of the fog. Stay out of the mist. 
If it's opaque, don't go near it. That's the general horror rule. Mm-hmm. So as you know, you get a, a mix of the population in tight quarters, things can get tense. And Marcia K. Harden plays Mrs. Carmendy, who's the local religious zealot. I love that you described it that way, because that's exactly how I was going to say it. <laughs> and she is thrilled this is happening. Everyone else is either, you know, trying very hard to be pragmatic and, you know, think this through logically or terrified out of their minds. And she's like, yeah, finally, we're going to have a reckoning. We're gonna, It's the end times, the rapture. Ooh, all you people. I know none of you read the Bible. You're going to get it. Not me. I'm the religious lady. I'm going to be fine. The rest of you. And she gets punched. She gets cans of peas thrown at her head. It's hilarious. (laughs) She deserves all of it. But, you know, things get worse and worse. And she becomes almost like a cult leader as the fear causes more and more people say like, well, you know, one of the little monsters had a chance to eat her and it didn't. So maybe she, you know, maybe she's talking some sense. And then that to me is when the film gets extra, extra scary. You know, and it's not just the monsters outside, but people buying into the hysteria inside. Yeah, it's almost like zombie films where you think that the creatures or the natural disaster are the real threat. And of course, it turns out that it's actually humanity. (laughs) Right. We are the walking dead. Yes. Which, coincidentally, it's Frank Darabont. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You have to. But I use the word hysteria. That's actually one of the things I truly love about her performance. Because she's not painted and she doesn't play it as, oh, she's the hysterical woman. Oh, it's the crazy cat lady. Mm -hmm. A man could play this role and they wouldn't have to change any lines. Except Mr. and Mrs., I guess. And I think that's great. Because she is a pure villain here. And it's not based on her gender. When you think of like all the stereotypes connected to dangerous harpies, it easily could have dipped in that direction. But she's just, you know, it's that classic Stephen King. He he tends to find a lot of horror with the very zealous religious types. Mm -hmm. So it's really based on that and her just being an asshole. Like, Lori Holden's character, like, early on, she's like, hey, if you need someone to talk to, it's okay to be scared. Just know you're not alone. I'm here for you. And she's like, well, if I wanted a friend like you, I'd just take a squat and shit one out. Like, well, I know who you are now. But that moment is so genuinely shocking. I know her face. Lori Holden's reaction to that. You're like, whoa. Yeah. Because I do think one of the reasons it works, too, is that everyone underestimates her because she's a little bit Mm -hmm. older because she is a woman and she comes out guns blazing and anybody that ends up on her shit list is doomed like she's the reason that they have to leave the supermarket because she has gotten too dangerous oh it's a nightmare right you we see her on her knees in front of a toilet praying so we're like oh poor dear poor dear she's she's engaging in the solace she has And next thing you know, she's causing people to stab a young guy Mm -hmm. in a frenzy. It's such a great character arc. She, I think she's just one of the most easily hateable characters in film history. 
and she doesn't overplay it. It's not hammy, and it's sometimes it's funny. Yes. But she always feels genuinely dangerous and that she fully believes every crazy word she's saying. And she relishes the power it's whipping up for. I really think you've stumbled on the reason that it works so well is that she's not overplaying it. Because it would just be so easy to go full-blown melodrama, almost tempting to say hysterical. But... Marcia Gay Harden, she knows exactly how far to take that performance so that it is threatening but still believable in such a way that you can say, oh, I understand the power of this character and why people would be attracted to her, and it's terrifying. Yeah. As crazy as the character is, she found a truth in what that character believes, and therefore the audience completely buys into it. And I think... I have to assume it was a treat for the other actors as well because that she is just a force of nature in that and I feel I feel like that would just inspire all of the performances around her because there's no way you can kind of half-ass react to her. Yeah, absolutely. And when I look at that cast, it's got a lot of great people in it, but she's the most esteemed actress. Mm, I yes. Like the other people are I doing fine quit. things, but I'm kind of like, like who else am I thinking of in that movie where I'm like, that person is a legitimately great actor. It's like, yeah, they're all, they're all good. They've been in good stuff. But then you're like, and then there's Marsha Gay Harden. <laughs> it's like, you've all done a fine job. Proud of all of you. And the Oscar goes to Marsha Gay Harden. Correct. Yes. <laughs> uh, anything else to say about The Mist? Well, it's a great movie. I I felt a little bit funny about bringing it up because the focus is women in horror. And it, it's a pretty, it's a fairly masculine horror movie. Mm. But I, I feel like that almost makes her performance that much more impressive. That it, it's just stuff full of men going out and getting burned and everything. <laughs> and she's like, that that's great. I'm just going to quietly take control of this movie filled with very intricate CGI monsters, and I'm going to be the one thing you remember the most. Yeah. She is legitimately great. So see The Mist. So see The Mist. And then watch it in black and white, because it's a movie that plays just as well in black and white. I love that they did that. I wish more movies would do it. It's like that and Logan, the only two. (laughs) I haven't seen Logan in black and white yet, but I should. I really like that movie. Yeah good one too we'll talk about that one another day (laughs) okay okay so where can people find you if they want to read more of your amazing work (laughs) they do not but i would say (laughs) the easiest way would be twitter i'm sorry i'm scrawfish on there a handle i don't regret at all and I do have a blog. It's just linked right on top. And I update that with everything I write and all the podcasts I'm on. And because of my impeccable snooty taste, I like to share all the wonderful things my friends and acquaintances are doing. So yeah, just check me out there and you'll probably discover a lot of other amazing writers. Well, not other amazing <laughs> You'll discover amazing writers. You don't have to deal with me so much. There you go. Right. So people can (laughs) discover amazing writers and they can also discover all of your amazing stuff. Nah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for agreeing to participate in this. It was a pleasure to speak with you. 
thank you so much. I, I love this project, the idea of it. It's so cool you're doing this. It's really an honor to be asked. Thank you.